Classic Horror Stories I often wondered if the majority of mankind ever falls to reflect upon the occasional titanic significance of dreams of the obscure world to which they belong, whilst the greater number of nocturnal visions are perhaps no more than faint fantastic reflections of waking experiences. Freud, to the contrary, with his peripheral symbolism, there are still a certain remainder whose immediate and ephemeral character permit of no ordinary interpretation, and whose variety vaguely, excitingly, and disquietly effects suggests possible minute glimpses into a sphere of mental existence no less important than physical life. Yet separated from that light by all but impassable barrier, from my experience I cannot doubt but that man, when lost to the terrestrial consciousness, is indeed so drawing in another and a corporal life of far different nature from life we know, of which only the slightest and most instinctive, indistinct memories linger after waking. From those blurred and fragmentary memories we may infer much, yet prove little. We may guess that in dreams life matter and vitality, as the earth knows such things, are not necessarily constant, and that time and space do not exist, as our waking shelves comprehend them. Sometimes I believe this is less material life, is our truer life, that our vain presence a terrestrial globe itself is secondary or merely vital phenomenon. It is from a youthful reverie filled with speculations the assault that I rose one afternoon in winter of 1900 to 1901 when to the state of psychopathic institution in which I served as an intern was brought the man whose case was ever since haunted me so increasingly. His name, as given to on the records, was Joe Slater, or Slater. His appearance was that of a typical disease of the Catskill Mountain region, one of those strange, repellent seagons of a primitive colonial pheasant, peasant sock, whose insulation Isolation was nearly three centuries in the early fastness of the little troubled countryside has caused them to sink to a kind of barbaric drenuanacy. Rather than a rance with their more fortunately placed brethren of the thick settled districts, among those old folk who corresponded exactly to the descendant element of white trash in the south, law and morals are non-existent. Adrenal mental stasis is probably below that of any other section of Native American people. Joe Slater came to the institution in the vacant custody of four state policemen, and who's and who was described as highly dangerous character, certainly presented no evidence of his perilous disposition. When I first beheld him, though well above mid- middle stature and somewhat brawny frame, 
He is given an absurd appearance of harmless stupidity by the pale, sleepy blueless with his small watery eyes, a scattering of neglected and near shaven never shaven growth of yellow beard, a listless drooping of his heavy never lip lip. His age was unknown since among his kind neither family records nor permanent family ties exist. From the baldness of his head in front, and from the decayed condition of his teeth, and his surgeon wrote down as a man of about forty. From the medical and court documents we learned all we could be gathered of this case of his case, this man, a vagabond, hunter and traveller, always has been strange in the eyes of his primitive associates. He had happily slept at night beyond the only time, upon waking, would often talk of unknown things, a manner so bizarre as to inspire fear, even in the hearts of an administrative populace. Not that his form of language was at all unusual, for he never spoke save the debased pathos of his environment, the tone and tenor of his utterances were of much of such mysterious, mysterious wildness, and none might listen without apprehension. He himself was generally as terrified and baffled as his auditors, and within an hour after awakening would forget all he had said, or at least all that had caused him to say what he did, relaxing into a bovine, half-animal normality like that of the other hill-dwellers. As Slater grew older, he appeared his maturity apparitions had generally increased in frequency and violence till about a month before his arrival in the institution occurred in a shocking tragedy that which caused his arrest by the authorities. One day near noon, after a found sleep, begun in a whiskey debauch, about five the previous afternoon, a man had roused himself most suddenly with the utterations so horrible and earthly that they brought several neighbours to his cabin. A filthy sty we dwelt with his family as inscribable as himself. Rushing out in the snow, he flung his arms aloft and commenced a series of leaps directly upward in the air while shouting his determination. They reached a big, big cabin and brightness in the roof and walls and floor and a loud queer music far away. As the two men of moderate size sought to retrain and strain him, he had struggled with manical force and fury, fury, screaming of his desire, a need to find and kill a certain thing that shines and shakes and laughs. At length, after a temporary filling, one of his attainers with a sudden blow, he then he had flung himself on the other, a demonic ecstasy of blood shrieking fiendishly that he would jump high in the air and burn his way through anything that stopped him. Families and neighbours had got now fled in a panic, and when the more, when the more courageous of them returned, Slater was gone, leaving behind an unrecognisable, pomp-like thing that had been a living man about an hour before. Now the mountaineers had dared to pursue him, and it's likely they would have welcomed his death from the cold. But then, when several mornings later they heard his screams from a distant ravine, he realised he somehow managed to survive. His removal one way or another would be necessary. Then there, then had followed an armed searching party, 
whose purposes, whatever it may have been, originally became that of a sheriff, possibly, after one of the stolen popular state troopers had by accident observed that what then questioned and finally joined the seekers. On the third day, Slater was found unconscious in a hollow of a tree and taken to the nearest jail, where the alienists from Albany examined him as soon as his senses returned. To them he told a simple story. He had, he said, gone to sleep one afternoon about sundown. After drinking much liquor, he had awakened to find himself standing bloody-handed in the snow before his cabin, a mangled corpse of a neighbour, Peter Slater, at his feet. Horrified, he had taken to the woods, a vague effort escaped from the scene that would have been his crime. Beyond these things he seemed to know nothing, nor could the question, expert questionings of his interrogators bring out a single additional fact. That night Slater swept quietly, and next morning he awakened with no single feature, save a certain alteration or expression. Dr. Bernard, who had been watching the patient, thought he noticed a pale blue eyes, a sudden gleam of peculiar quality, and a flaccid lips, and an all but impeccably tightening, as if an intelligence determination. But when questioned, Slater relapsed into her habitual vacancy on the mountaineer, and he reiterated what he had said on the preceding day. On the third morning occurred the first of the man's mental attacks. After some show of uneasiness in sleep, he burst forth in a frenzy so powerful that the combined efforts of four men were needed to blind him into a straitjacket. The alienist listened and with keen attention to his words, since their quality had been aroused in a high pitch by suggestive yet mostly conflicting in coherent stories of his family and neighbours. They raved for upward of fifteen minutes, babbling in his backwoods dialect of green emphasis of light oceans of space, strange music and shuddering mountains of wood valleys, but most of all he did dwell upon to a mysterious blazing energy that shook and laughed and mocked at him. This vast, vague personality seemed to have done him a wrong, terrible wrong, and to kill it in triumphant revenge was his paramount desire. In order to reach it, he said he would have saw through abysses of emptiness, burning every obstacle that stood in his way. Thus ran his discourse, until, with the great suddenness, he ceased. A fire of madness died from his eyes, and dull wonder he looked at his questioners, and asked why he was bound. Dr. Bernard unbuckled the leather to harness, and did not restore it till that night, when he succeeded in persuading Slater to have done it of his own violation. For his own good, the man who now admitted he sometimes talked queerly, though he knew not why. Within a week, two more attacks appeared, but from them the doctors learned little. Of the source of Slater's visions, they speculated at length, for since he could neither read or write, and apparently never heard of a legend or fairy tale, his generous imaginary was quite explicable. They had that he could 
not come from any known myth or romance was made eventually especially clear by the fact the unfortunate lunatic expressed himself only in his, one, his own simple manner. He raved of things he did not understand, could not interpret, things he claimed to experience, which he could not have learned through any normal or connected narration. Aeolus soon agreed that the normal dreams were the foundation of the trouble. Dreams whose vividness could, for a time, completely dominate the waking mind of his basically inferior man. With due formality, data was tried for murder, acquitted, and underground insanity, and committed to the institution. Within, I held some humble a post. I have said that I am a constant spectator concerning dream life, and from this you may judge of the evidence which I apply myself to the study of the new patient as soon as I fully asserted the facts of his case. He seemed to sense a certain friendliness in me, born no doubt of the interests I could not conceal, and the gentle manner in which I questioned him. Not that he ever recognised me during these attacks, when I hung breathlessly upon his chaotic but cosmic word pictures, but he drew, he knew me in his quiet hours when he would sit by his barred window, weaving baskets of straw and willow, and hats pining for the wind mountain freedom. He never again enjoy. His family never called to see him. Bobby had been found another temporary head after the manner of his descendant mountain folk. By degrees I commenced to feel an overwhelming wonder of the mad fantastic conceptions of Joe Slater. A man himself was perfectly inferior to mentality and language alike, but his growing titanic visions, through described in barbarous disjointed jargon, was absurdly things which only superior or even exceptional brain could conceive. How, I often asked myself, could the solid imagination of Catskill didn't generate conjure, con, con, conjure up sights. Those very possessions argued a lurking spark of genius. How could any backwards of Dolan have gained so much an idea having glistening realms of solar radiance and space, which Slater ranted in his furious delirium? More and more I'd inclined to the belief the pitiful personality who cringed before me lay, insulted and neutrous of something beyond my comprehension, something infinity beyond a comprehension of my experience, but less imaginative medical and scientific colleagues. And yet I could extract nothing defiant from the man. The sum of all my investigations was, in a kind of semi-corporal dream, like state of wandered or floated through with pleasant and prodigious valleys, Meadows, gardens, cities, palaces of light in a region unbound, unknown to man. That was there, he's no present or to render it. A creature of importance and vivid life, moving proudly and dominantly, and checked out by a certain deadly enemy, who seemed to be being of visible yet eternal structure. Ethel, quite structure, who did not appear to, to be of human shape. Since Slater never referred to it as man, or as aught such a thing, a thing that's done as Slater, some hideous but unnamed wrong, which the maniac, if maniac, what you were, 
learned to avenge. What did he do with your washing? From the manner of which Slater alluded to their dealings, I judge that he had a luminous thing about them on equal terms, and his dream existence a man who was himself a luminous thing, the same race as his enemy. His impressions are stained with figure references to flying with space and burning all that impeded his progress. Yet these conceptions were formulated in rustic words, wholly inadequate to convey them, O Sankarans, which drove me to the conclusion that, that if a dream world is existed, oral language was not its medium for the transmission of thought. Could it be that a dream soul inhabiting this very body was desperately struggling to speak things with a simple and halting tongue of dullness could not utter? Could it be that I am face to face with intelligible imaginations, which would explain the mystery if I could but learn to discover read them? I did not tell the older physicians of these things, for middle age is sceptical, cynical, and disinclined to accept new ideas. Besides, the head of the institution had but lately warned me in his parental way that was overworking that my mind needed a rest. It had been long been my belief that human thought consists basically of an atom or molecule of motion convertibly into either waves or radiant energy by heat, light and electricity. This belief had early led me to contemplate the possibility telepathy or mental communication by means of suitable apparatus. I had in my college prepared a set of transmitting and receiving instruments somewhat similar to the compulsory devices employed in wireless telegraphy at the, that crude pre-radio period. Though these I tested with a fellow student, but achieving no result, had soon packed them away with other scientific odds and ends for possible future use. Now, in my intense desire to probe in the dream life of Stowe Slater, I thought that these sought these instruments again, spent several days repairing them for action. When they were completed once more, I missed no opportunity for their trial. At each outburst of Slater's violence, I did fit the transmitter to his void, a receiver to my own, constantly making delicate adjustments for various hypothetical wavelengths of intelligible energy. I had not little notion of how thought process would if successfully conveyed arouse an intelligent response in my brain, but I felt certain I could detect and interpret them. Accordingly, I continued my experience through informing no one of their nature. It was 21st of February 1901 that the things occurred. As I look back across the years, I realise how it's unreal it seems, and sometimes wonder if old Dr. Fenton was not right when he char- charged it all to my excited imagination. I recall that he listened with great kindness and patience when I told him, but afterward gave me a nerve power, arranged for half year's vacation, for which I departed the next week. That fateful night, I, wildly, I was wildly agitated and perturbed, for despite an excellent care received, Joe Slater was unsightly dying. Perhaps it was his mountain freedom that he missed, or perhaps the turmoil in his brain had grown too acute for his rather 
sluggish for seek. But in all events, the flame of eternity flickered low, the decantant body. He was drowsy near the end. As darkness fell, he dropped off into a troubled sleep. I did not strap on the straitjacket as it was customary when he slept, since I saw that he was too feeble to be dangerous. Even if he woke in a mental disorder once more before passing away. Why did place upon his head a minor two ends of a cosmic radio, hoping against hope, the first and last message from the dream world, the brief time remaining, in cell with us was one nurse, a Mugenoka fellow, who did not understand the purpose of the apparatus of it to inquire into my course. As the hours wore on, I saw his face head droop awkwardly asleep. I did not disturb him. I myself longed by reverential breathing, a healthy, a dying man. Wood must have nodded off, nodded a little later. The sound of weary lyric minely was, was that aroused me, caused by violation, vibrations of harmonic ecstasies, echoed passionately on every hand, while on the ravished sight burst the stupendous spectacle in the ultimate booty, walls, columns, and anchor traves of living fire blaze effortlessly around the spot which I seem to float in the air, extended upward to infinitely high vaulted dome of inscribable splendour, blending with this display of particle magnificence, or rather supplanting it at times in coitus of rotation, or glimpses wild wide plains of graceful valleys, high mountains, inviting grottoes, covered with every lovely attitude of scenery which my delighted eyes could conceive of, yet formed wholly of some glowing ethical plastic entity, which is in consistency partook as much of spirit as in of matter. As I gazed, I perceived that my own brain had held a key to these enchanting men- metaphors, for each visa would appear to, to me was the one of my changing mind much wish to be which beyond amidst these essaline realm, I dwelt not as a stranger, for each sight and sound were familiar to me, just as they had been uncounted eons of eternity before, and would be for like entities to come. Then the resplendent aura of my brother of light drew near and held Kokwiki. With me, what soul to soul, with silent and perfect interchange, thought of thought, the hour was one approaching triumph, was not of my fellow being escaping at last from a degrading prioritic bondage, escaping forever and preparing to follow the cues of pressure, even within on to utmost field of, of either that upon it would be wrought a flaming cosmic vengeance, which would shake the spears, we floated thus for a little time, when I perceived a slight blurring and fading of the objects around us, as though some force were calling me to earth. Where at least I wished to go, a film near me seemed to feel a change also, but it gradually brought its discourse towards a conclusion, itself prepared to quit the scene, fading from my sight as a spate somewhat less rapid than that of, a, 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 some, of, some of, of other, that of other objects. A few more thoughts were exchanged. I thought the luminous ones, 
I've been recalled to bondage for for my brother of light. It would be the last time. The sorry planet shell would being high, well, nigh spent less than an hour by my my fellow will be freed with pseudo oppressor along the Milky Way and past the hippos stars to the very confines of infinity. A well-defined shock separates my final impression, a fading scene of light from my sudden and somewhat shamefaced awakening, straightening up in my chair as I saw the dying figure on the crouch, near more hesitantly, with hesitantly. Joe Slater was indeed walking, though probably for the last time. As I soon, as I looked more closer, I saw the shallow cheeks shone, lots of colour, and never been before been present. The lips, too, seemed unusual, being tighter compressed, as if by a force of stronger character had been, had, then had been Slater's. The whole face finally began to grow tense, and head turned wittily. The clothed eyes. I did not rouse the sleeping nurse, but adjusted the slightly disarrayed headband on my radio intent to catch any parting message a dreamer might have to deliver. All at once, the head turned sharply in my direction, and the eyes fell upon, causing me to stare in blank amazement at which I behold a man who had been just later a catsilled descendant was gazing at me with a pair of luminous expanding eyes whose blue seemed subtly to have deepened. Neither mania nor degeneracy was visible in that gaze. I felt beyond a doubt that I was watching a face behind which lay an active mind high order. At this junction of my brain become aware of a steady infernal influence operating upon it, I closed my eyes to concentrate my thoughts more apparently, avoided by a positive knowledge my long sorted mental message had come at last. Each fermented idea formed rapidly my mind, and through no actual language was employed. My habitual association, the concept, the expression was so great I seemed to be receiving a message in only English. Joe Slater is dead, came the soul penetrating perforating voice of an agency beyond the wall of sleep. My open eyes sought the crouch of pain and curious horror, but the blue eyes were still calmly gazing, and the countenance was still intentionally animated. He is better dead, for he was unfit to bear the active intellect or cosmic entity. His gross body would not undergo the needed adjustments between ethereal life and my planet life. He is too much an animal, too little a man. Yet it is through his deficiency that you have come to discover me. For the cosmic and planet souls, while well, he should have never met, he has been my torment and dual prison for forty-two of your terrestrial years. I am the entity like that you wish you yourself became the freedom of steam sleep. I am the brother of light. I have floated with you in the effluent valleys, if not permitted me to tell you waking earth self of your real self. But we are all roamers in the vast spaces and travellers of many ages. 
Next, here I may be dwelling in the Egypt, which you call ancient, or call, or in the call empire, the Tans clan, which is to come three thousand hence, years hence, and you and I have drifted to wells at will, but the red Acrocorus and dwelt in the bodies of insect philosophers are called proudly of the full moon of Jupiter. How little does the earth self know, life and its extent, how little indeed ought to be known for its own tranquillity. Of the oppressor I cannot speak. You on earth were unwittingly felt its distant presence. You were without knowledge of the idly gave the blinking bacon the name of Ergo. A demon star it is met and conjure conquer the oppressor that I have vainly striven for I icons held back by bodily encumbrances. Tonight I go as nemesis bearing, just of a blazing chasmatic vengeance. Watch me in the sky, close by the demon star. I can no lo- speak no longer. I speak I cannot speak longer. For the body of Joe Slater grows cold and rigid, and the coarse brains are ceasing to vibrate as they wish. You have been my only friend on this planet, the only soul to sense and seek me, been the repentant form which lies on this on this couch. We shall meet again, perhaps in the shiny midst of Warren's sword, perhaps in this bleak plateau, prehistoric Asia, perhaps in unremembered dreams tonight, perhaps in some other form, and even hence, when the solar system shall have been swept away. At this point, the foot waves abruptly ceased, and pale eyes of dreamer, or can I say dead man, commenced to glaze fishily. In a half stupor, I crossed over to the crouch and felt his wrist, but it felt found it cold, stiff and depositless. The shallow cheeks paled again, and the thick lips fell open, disclosing repulsively rotten fangs in the adrenaline grunt. Joe Slater, I shivered, pulled a blanket over the hideous face, and awakened the nurse. When I fell, left the cell, and went silently to my room. I had an instant and uncomfortable craving for sleep, whose dreams I could not remember. A climax what happened, a plain tale with science, can boast of such rhetorical effect. I have merely sat down. Certain things appealing to me as facts. Allowing you to consume them as you will. As I already admitted, my superior old Dr. Fenton denies the reality of anything I have related. He vows that I have broken down with nervous strain and need, barely need a long vacation of full pay, which he so generally gave me. He assures me that his historical honour, that Joe Stater, was now was but a low-grade paraonic whose fantastical ideas must have come from a cruel heresy, folklore which circulated in even the most descendant of communities. All this he tells me, yet I cannot forget when I saw in the sky a night after Slater died. These you think me by his witness. Another pen must must add his final testimony, which may perhaps supply the climax you expect. I quote the following account of the star, Nova Persia Victim. From the pages that element ecological authority, Professor Garrett P. Seves. On February 22nd, 1901, a marvellous new star was discovered by Dr. Anderson of Embraer. 
Not very far from Angelo, Angelo. No star had been visible at that point before. Within 24 hours, the stranger had become so bright. It was out shone Coppola. In a week or two, it had gradually faded, and of course, a few months, it's hardly discernible from the human eye.